Welcome to the Brock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is part one of A Tale of Two Kings by Pastor Sean Wood. Albert Einstein's on a plane with another gentleman and they're flying. It's quite a long distance and Albert Einstein turns to the guy next to him and he says, look, do you want to make this interesting? And the guy's like, well, you know, I'd kind of settled in for a, a flight. I'm not really interested in anything else. He says, I'll tell you what. He says, we'll make it interesting. He says, um, I'll ask you a question, and if you can't answer the question, you have to give me $5. The guy's like, eh. He says, but then you can ask me a question, anything you like, and if I can't answer it, I have to give you $500. He says, I'm in. He says, this sounds like a deal too good to be true. So Einstein says, in fairness, he says, I'll start off first. He says, what is the distance from the earth to the moon? The guy sitting there thinking, oh, he says, I can't. He racks his brains, he says, oh, I know I've heard this, but I can't remember. So he pulls $5 out of his pocket, he says, I I don't know the answer. And Einstein says, he says, it's your turn now. He says, well, he says, what goes up a hill with three legs and comes down with four? And Einstein thinks for a second, he thinks, this guy's got me. He says, what goes up? And he turns, he says, mate, he says, you've done well. He says, you've got me. He pulls $500 out of his pocket. He says, I can't answer that question. So anyway, they move on. He goes, your turn. He says, but hang on. He says, uh, before we go any further, he says, I've got to know, what does go up a hill with three legs and comes down with four? And the guy pulls $5 out of his pocket and hands it to us. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you for your word. It is your words are spirit and they are life, and I pray this morning that your words would be spirit and life for us. Raise affections for Jesus, Father, I pray this morning as your word goes forth. Thank you, Lord, for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 9, we're going to begin there and... We'll kind of jump our way through a few chapters in 1 Samuel as we look at a tale of two kings. If you, This is part one this morning and then uh, part two will actually be on Father's Day. So wives, bring your husbands to church on Father's Day. It's going to be a great morning on the 1st of September. Next week is our Invite Sunday. Don't forget that it's an opportunity to invite somebody uh, to church, maybe that, uh, that you're in contact with, hasn't been for a while. But uh, this week I want to have a look at, as we look at a tale of two kings, I want to look at King Saul and King David. And this week I want to have a look at King Saul. And what we find, we've, we've been working through discipleship and one of the key things we find in discipleship is it's all about the heart. And uh, I was reading the passage through uh, 1 Samuel recently and I, to me there's an elephant in the room that I wanted to answer and that is when you read the life of King Saul and when you read the life of King David, his two kings that both horrendously sinned in many different ways. But God rejects one and upholds the other. There's kind of an elephant in the room there, if we're we're honest. There's a little bit of an elephant in the room and asking, well, what is the difference? And and what was so different about David? We have to come back on September the 1st to find out the full answer to that. But sometimes understanding the positive is best understood when we have a full look at the negative. 
And uh, King Saul had all of the opportunities that King David had, but yet didn't fulfill the call of God for him. As we work our way through the tale of King Saul, we will see that oftentimes the king you want is not the king you need. Sometimes the leadership that God gives us is not necessarily the leadership you want, but it's the leadership that you may need in all various ways and all various platforms. That that could be the Prime Minister. There are people now saying Scott Morrison is not the Christian Prime Minister that I wanted, but he may just be the Prime Minister that we need. And so it flows on. All forms of leadership, because what we find with King Saul is he was the king Israel wanted, but he was not the king that Israel needed. Israel needed a king like David. There's a good reason why. In 1 Samuel chapter 9, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase. You can read, pick verses out as we go along. But uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 9, we are introduced to King Saul and the journey of King Saul. We're, we're introduced to his family. Uh, King Saul would come from the tribe of Benjamin, the least of all the Israelite tribes. His, his father was a na- guy by the name of Kish. They had had inventive names back in those days. I don't know what was wrong with Robert and Peter and Paul, but, but his father's name was Kish. And the history behind this is that if you read through the book of Judges, the, uh, God had always designed that his people would be different. I want my people to be different, so therefore I don't want you to have an earthly ruler. I don't want you to look for an earthly ruler. I want you to allow me to be the king over your life. But, but Israel pleads with, a, with God for a king and pleads with Samuel. And, and finally, God says, I will give them a king. And here we have, we're introduced to King Saul. And you can, you can read through chapter 9 later, but what actually happens is uh, Kish loses a set of donkeys. Who would go looking for donkeys nowadays? Nobody, right? But apparently they were enormously important in this time. And what we see is Saul is charged with running off after to find these donkeys. <laughs> he takes a servant with him. And there's a beautiful story in this which is Saul thinks he's looking for donkeys, but he's actually on a collision course with God because God has already spoken to Samuel. Samuel hasn't met Saul. Samuel doesn't know what he looks like. Samuel does not even know what his name is, but God has spoken to Samuel and says, I have a man. And off goes Saul looking for donkeys And what we find is that uh, they can't find the donkeys. The donkeys end up making their way back to where they're supposed to be anyway. But what happens is the servant says, let us go to the man of God. And he finds himself on a collision course with Samuel. Seeking donkeys... Samuel would, uh, Saul would find God, pardon me. In verse 15, we pick it up, chapter 9, it says, Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, Tomorrow about this time I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel, and he shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines. You shall anoint him to be prince 
God has never designed anybody to be king over his people apart from him. Saul would be prince. He would, he would have, like all princes, he would have an element of authority, but the, the supreme authority and the supreme king of Israel and the people of God is always God. It's interesting uh, because God goes on to say... <clears throat> He shall rescue my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. When Samuel saw him, the Lord told him, here is the man whom I spoke to you. He it is who will restrain my people. And if we we have a look through Judges, uh, we we begin to understand what happens uh, when there's when there's problems with leadership. We see that uh, throughout the book of Judges, we read the phrase that says, and the people did what was good in their own eyes. And have a look how that turned out. Time and time again, it turned out in trouble. And God had to come and rescue them by Judges. But he it is who will restrain my people. So the call of God is definitely on Saul. Let's keep reading. We now flip over to chapter 10. And I I love, this is an enormously profound passage because you can't leave chapter 10 and say that Saul was missing out on anything. You can't say that he was missing out, that God hadn't given him all of the opportunities he gives everybody else. As you you read through, you find that uh, chapter 10, verse 1, Samuel has has found Saul. He has a, he, God has revealed it to Samuel that he will be the one anointed king over Israel. And Samuel took a flask of oil, verse 1, and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people? And we see that Saul is anointed as the king. And from there, and this is sometimes uh, in our own lives, we find that uh, we go about our own lives, if we're meeting with Saul and tracking with Saul at the same point, how many of us can testify that we're going about our lives, but we've been on a collision course with God the whole time. There's people in this room today, you think you're in an area, you think you're there, you think you're in no man's land, and you may think you're out looking for donkeys, but in fact, you could well be on a collision course for God. Lesson number two, God calls people to his offices. God, there must be a call of God. And for those here this morning that are wondering, God always confirms his call, always. Because what happens now is Samuel says to Saul, you will go back and on your way back, when you get to the tomb of Rachel, two men will be there. And of course, then you will meet three people that have three loaves, all of these specifics that will line up and you will know, one, I am the prophet. And two, that God is confirming his word, his anointing and his call on your life. sometimes we get this wrong. Sometimes we put people in positions that they should not be in. Sometimes we elevate or we run ahead of God. God will confirm his call. There are people in this room this morning that the call of God is on. And you can have all of the natural attributes You can, God never looks at appearances. We're going to learn that on the 1st of September, of course. But 
God always looks at the heart. You can have, you can have all of the natural attributes. You can be very well skilled and learned, no matter what it is, and you may not fit the position because there's one element that every single person needs. And as we read down, we come to verse six. It says, then the spirit of the Lord says Samuel to Saul will rush upon you. Up until the spirit rushes upon you, you're just Saul, but this is an anointing and an empowering for the service. So we see Saul's not missing out on anything. Then the spirit of the Lord will rush upon you and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Wow. A few weeks ago, I read that passage and immediately I stopped and I put my Bible down and I said, God... I can't remember a single day in my whole life where I haven't needed you to turn me into another man. And as we will see as we work our way through the tale, we are living in a culture and a society today where we need God to turn our men into another man. It's time for the men of God to stand up. It's time for the women of God to stand up as well. But it is time for the men of God to stand up. Then the spirit of the Lord will rush upon you. You will prophesy with them. This is amazing because up until this point, Saul's really got no interest. Saul's a distant kind of guy. He's at best a nominal covenant relationship kind of guy. But something radical is going to happen. And let's keep reading on. It says, verse 7, now, when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Then go down before me to Gilgal, important part here, and behold, I am coming to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. Verse 9, when he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. You're not missing out on anything here, Saul. God gave him another heart. Every single person in this room needs another heart. Do you know that that Samuel was not able to give Saul another heart? Saul was not able to give himself another heart. Saul desperately needed, like all of us in this room, God to give him another heart. And on Saturday... If you come to the Dr. Unica Whiteman, she will expose more of the fullness of what the Bible actually means when it's speaking about the heart. Yes, it is in, in alliance sorry, with our emotions, but it's, it's about our will and it's about, it's about our thought patterns as well. You see, if you said heart to a Hebrew man, he understood it to mean here, not something that pumps blood here. We need the thing that pumps blood. But we need another one of these sometimes. The way we view life and the way we view God. What God actually does with Saul right here, and we see evidence of it, but only fleetingly with Saul, is he completely gives him another set of affections and desires. That's what we need. In Western society, we are so full. Our hearts are so crammed full of everything else that there's barely any room for God to make his way in sometimes. We need God to give us another heart. 
There is no doubt after this passage that God has done a miraculous supernatural work inside of Saul. And all these signs came to pass. And when they came to Gabeah, behold, a group of prophets met him and the spirit of God rushed upon him and he prophesied among them. Only time King Saul ever prophesied. Go and work that out. Just prophesies. Samuel, I'm going to paraphrase what happens between now and the next part. Samuel is giving his farewell address in chapter 12. Samuel is somewhat displeased that Israel has sought out an earthly king because both God and Samuel make it clear that in seeking out an earthly king, you are rejecting God as your overall king. And his farewell address ends with uh, these words. If we pick it up, uh, chapter 12, verse 12, we can pick it up there. It says, And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. Verse 13, And now behold the king whom you have chosen, for whom you have asked, behold the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if both you and the king, if both you and the king who reigns over you, will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. There are are some that would say that God controls every single blink of the eye and that we have no control over, you know, God's going to do what he's going to do. It doesn't matter anyway. And I think there's one word in the Bible that absolutely debunks that completely. It's the word if. Because Israel is given a choice right now. King Saul is given a choice right now. God's done the work in King Saul. He's put a king over Israel. And he says, now if you, if being the big word, if you will fear the Lord. And we, that's, that's not a hiding in the dark kind of fear. It's a, it's a posture of life that each and every one of us must carry. It's, uh, we have a couple of newborn babies in the room. And who knows that when a baby's born and you hold that baby in your arms, uh, apart from thinking this looks like a tremendous alien, for a moment, you're holding it there and every step that you take and everything you do, you do so with, with very cautious and, and you're very trepidatious. Why? Not because the baby could do anything to hurt you, but because you might do something to hurt the baby. Why? Because there's an enormous amount of value in what you're holding in your hands. Fearing God, the posture of life that fears God is a posture that says... Every move I make, I do so carefully because I don't want to hurt God and I don't want to offend God. If you and the king will fear the Lord, serve him, and here's a word that can be sometimes a dirty word nowadays, obey his voice and follow the Lord your God, it will be well. Was it well for King Saul? Did everything go well for King Saul? Did everything turn out well for Israel? Turns out it did not. Samuel goes on and says in his farewell address, and uh, if we come down to 
Verse 20, and Samuel said to the people, do not be afraid. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord your God, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And we sometimes we think that Jesus brought in a new teaching. And, and when Jesus came, Jesus is talking about our heart and, and everything's about all of us and giving all, and cleaning up the inside first. And we think that's a new teaching. It is not new. It has always been the will and the desire of God that we would serve him with all of our hearts. Not some of our hearts, not parts of our hearts, not sectioning up our life into sections and then say, here's your little section down, down the end here, God. God. God doesn't want to be a section of our life. God wants to actually be all of our life that we then section our life up into. It's been God's heart and God's desire the whole time. But now we begin to see things change. In verse 13... Remember that Samuel has said to Saul, go down to Gilgal and wait there for seven days. And here's a mistake that David never made. Saul makes one tragic mistake now that David would never have dared made. So after waiting some time, uh, we see that uh, verse 8 of chapter 13, he waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. Hang on a second. Are you king or priest? Let's keep reading. And he offered the burnt offering. Looks like on the outside, looks like Saul's doing the right thing, right? What, what charge could you bring against Saul? Obviously, he's doing the right thing. He's, he, he's, he's offering a burnt offering. Verse 10, as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came and Saul went out <clears throat> to meet and greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? And I'm sure that Saul is picking his jaw up. He's probably thinking, I've done the right thing. Chuck Swindoll says, before we do anything, we should always ask, what is my motivation? And what we actually see is, uh, sometimes we can be doing good on the outside. And what we think is good, but when it's with the wrong motivations, it's still sin and it's still evil. Saul may be outwardly doing what is right, but on the inside, there's a problem. And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have now sought the favour of the Lord. I'm doing the right thing. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have done foolishly. Why? Because it was never the place of the king to offer sacrifices. That was for the priest. And what is going on inside of King Saul's heart is, doesn't matter what's going on on the outside, there's a deep inward problem of irreverence for God. Anybody that has reverence for God would not get these mixed up. They would not cross over. It was only for the priests. You had to be born into the lineage of a priest to be able to offer burnt offerings and sacrifices. God, through Samuel, you have done foolishly, says to Saul, he says, you've not kept the command of the Lord. 
Do you know keeping a part of God's commands is still breaking most of it? it does, you, can't, you can't pick and choose. Saul, we will see that Saul likes to pick and choose. I, I like this part of the command. And we're going to see that by the time we finish today. Saul, Saul picks out of what it is that he likes. I like that part of the command. I, I, I like that part of God. You know, it's, it's kind of like, I, I, I love the love part of God. Everybody loves hearing about the Father heart of God, and we should hear about the Father heart of God. But, but what about sin, and what about what separates us from that heart? You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you, for then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. We're going to learn about that man in a couple of weeks. But God is still looking for men after his own heart. C.H. Spurgeon, uh, towards the end of his life, C.H. Spurgeon actually died of exhaustion in his 50s. But uh, he's a guy that preached almost every day. But towards the end of his life, he had a seminary for, for pastors. And one pastor who was graduating and about to go off to a church comes running up to Spurgeon and says, listen, what is the one golden piece of advice? If you had one piece of advice for me, what would it be? And C.H. Spurgeon said to him, he says, listen, son, he says, go, he says, and set yourself on fire for God. He said, and the world will come and watch you burn. And what we will see is, God is looking for a man after his own heart and David will be called, but David is a man that sets himself on fire for God and it influences the whole nation of Israel. But what we will see in the history of Israel is this, and this is a, this is a stern warning to anybody in leadership in a church. If you track the history of Israel in the Old Testament, uh, their highs and their lows are all governed by the leadership. When they had righteous leadership, they were on fire for God. There was reform and there was revival. But when they had wicked leadership, they plummeted. God is seeking men after his own heart. If you're wondering what that looks like, you need to turn up on the 1st of September to get a deeper look. But here's a, here's a glimpse or, or a summing up of what that looks like. A man after God's own heart is one who is in compliance with one's intent, will or inclination. A man that is flowing with God's will. A man inside of God's will. A completely different orientation of life. We're actually going to see... Uh, as, as Saul's heart is exposed more in a moment, we're going to see who it is that Saul is really trying to please. Samuel says, the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. God is seeking men after his own heart. And we will see that what David does is nothing more than position himself. And if men and women will position themselves, God will seek you out. If you turn with me to chapter 15, I love chapter 15. God gives Saul a command. This is, this is pretty much where things turn for Saul. God gives Saul a command, but there's a little bit of history that I need to fill you in here with the Amalekites. When Israel left Egypt, the first enemy they met was the Amalekites. And when the Amalekites came against Israel, it was a little bit of a dirty fight because Israel didn't have any weapons. Israel had nothing. 
And God declared then, when Amalek, or the nation of Amalek did that, he said, I will, I will wipe out Amalek. There will be no more remembrance of Amalek left. And he's, he wants Saul to carry that out. Because what he says to Saul, Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now therefore listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction. What, what Saul is asked to do is go in and get rid of Amalek. There is not to be a trace. I don't want anything left once you go in. Don't even bring back the spoils of war. Get rid of the lot. If we transfer that into our own lives, sometimes God comes to us as well and says that there's things in our lives, there's attitudes in our lives that you need to devote to destruction and you can't get rid of some of them and keep hold of the other ones. You must get rid of them all. Smith Wigglesworth was one of the most unlearned men that I have written, read about. But he learned to read on the Bible, but yet I think he was one of the more profound people. He said, listen, being full of God is easy. We complicate it. Smith Wigglesworth broke it down for us. He says, being full of God is easy. You've just got to be empty of yourself. But all too often we want to keep a little bit in there. God, you can, you can have these parts here but you can't have the others. And what God says to Saul cannot be confused. Devote the whole lot to destruction. But if you know the story of King Saul, he doesn't. So Saul summoned the people and numbered them in Talaim, 200,000 men on foot and 10,000 men of Judah. And if you keep reading down, you will see that he defeats the Amalekites, he keeps the king, he keeps some of the animals, the best of the animals, and everything on the outside sounds good. I've kept the best of the animals, he's going to say. I've kept the best so that I can offer them to God. And we brought all the spoils of war because these guys have worked so hard. You know, they needed some rewards. That's, that's paraphrasing. That's, that's Sean's version. But I love it when Samuel comes. Verse 10, the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king. I regret or I, I am grieved that I have made Saul king. Why? For he has turned back from following me. Underline, highlight and circle that sentence because God never turned away from Saul. It says that he has turned away from following me. And have a look what God will do to the man that turns away from following him. I regret that I've made Saul king, for he has turned back from following and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry and he cried to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. And it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel and behold, he set up a monument. (laughs) It gets better. Now he's so proud of what he's done, we're going to build a monument here in celebration of what I've done. Still building monuments today. He built a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I've performed the commandment of the Lord. I love the response of Samuel. 
And Samuel said, what then is this bleating of sheep in my ears? And what is this lowing of oxen that I hear? In other words, you say you've performed the full command of the Lord, then why can I hear sheep in the ear? And and for many of us in this room, sometimes God comes to us as well. And we say, we've done everything you wanted, Lord. I've done everything you want. I I go to church. I I go to life groups and and I do all of these things, but there's still stuff in the heart. And God says, "What's what's this bleating of sheep that I hear? You say you've got rid of everything. You say that I have all of your heart, but I hear, I hear the bleating of attitudes. Your affections, I, I, I can hear, I can hear the, the lowing of affections that rest somewhere else. Saul's reply, Saul said, they, <clears throat> they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. We spared the best so that we could give it all to God. But you've missed out on what God actually wants. God doesn't want sheep. God doesn't want sacrifices. God doesn't want those things. He wants your heart. Why? Because if I've got your heart, then I'll get those things anyway. Following Christ isn't about church attendance. It isn't about how much of your Bible you read every day. Because if he's got your heart, he'll get that anyway. We come to church because he transforms our hearts. We come to the Bible because he transforms our hearts. Do you hear the bleating of sheep this morning? If we read on, there's a very sad passage here that actually begins to highlight that there's been an enormous problem the whole time. Verse 21, But the people took the spoils, the sheep, the oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord, your God. Saul is speaking to Samuel and he says, it's interesting, the Hebrew language is very deliberate. They have to be. They haven't got as much words as we have. They can't be loose with language. We... We might take 50 words to say something, they take 10 because they have like 20,000 words in their vocabulary. They're very deliberate. This is not a mistake. This is exactly what Saul said to Samuel. To offer to the Lord your God, not our God, not to the Lord my God, to the Lord your God. My prayer for every one of us and my prayer for me as well is this. I, talk, I, get, I get the blessing of talking to a lot of people. If I can be honest for a moment, I'll get back to preaching in a second, but if I can be honest for a moment, I talk to a lot of people that in church, out of church, whatever, they agree with God. God makes sense. You, know, you talk to them and say, yeah, I, I, I believe in God. God makes sense. And then sometimes when you get to the Jesus part, it's like, no, we can't go any further. I, I, I can accept the fact that there's a God, but when you introduce Jesus, I've got to do something with this God, so I'm out. But some people, yeah, I believe in God and yes, I believe in Jesus and all of this sort of stuff and Jesus was a great guy and Jesus is the saviour. I've heard this many times. Jesus is the saviour. But you know what? Jesus is not only the saviour, he must become your saviour. He must not just be a Lord or the Lord. He has to become your Lord. 
And that transaction never happened for Saul. And I pray that it happens for you. And I pray that it happens for me. That we never say the words, the Lord, your God. What's the problem, Saul? (laughs) Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. For I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words. Why? Because I feared the people. Because I feared the people. I gave the people what they wanted before I decided to give you what you wanted. Men, we need to stop giving people what they want and start orientating our lives towards what God wants. Women, We need to stop focusing on what everybody else wants. And first and foremost, focus on what it is that God wants. Because all of the actions of Saul come from an underlying condition of fearing the people. The problem with Saul was the position that God had in his heart. And we sing songs here. I sing songs here. I read Psalms the same as everybody else does. And it's very easy to stand here all together and say, be exalted, O God. Be exalted above everything else, O God. Yes. I want to ask everybody here a question this morning. Is God exalted above everything else in your life? Because the problem with Saul wasn't the fact that God didn't give him everything that he gave everybody else. The problem with Saul was he exalted anything and everything else above God. I exalted what the people thought of me above God. I exalted, uh, I exalted possessions and, and, and outward ordinance. By the time we get to Jeremiah, who deals with the Amalekites, under the, he prophesies. It's all dealt with in the time of Jeremiah. By the time we get there, Jeremiah is prophesying to a people who are sacrificing Animals on the steps and everything looks good. The temple looks good and and the priests are all wearing the right robes. But Jeremiah says, I know the idols you've got stuck behind the curtain. Looks good on the outside, but you're exalting something else in here. And the difference between King Saul and as we will see, King David is, that God was exalted in here. When God's exalted in our hearts, we don't ask the questions. We don't, we don't have to, we don't have to prioritise God. He's already there. God, you're already at number one. You, I already want to do what you want me to do first and foremost. And, and how we carry ourselves, whether we're at school, whether we're at work, whether we're in business, whether we're in ministry, whatever it is, we carry ourselves in such a way that says, God is number one in my life. I care about what he thinks above what anybody else thinks. And the message of Jesus, if you paraphrase the, the entire message of Jesus, it is this, I want God to return back to number one. What was the problem with the Pharisees? Everything looked good on the outside. But on the inside, he said, you're like whitewashed tombs. Dead, empty inside. So I ask everybody here this morning, is God exalted above everything else in your life? And who is it that has your heart? Let's pray.
Father, you deserve and you are worthy of every one of our affections, of the total of all of our desires. You deserve to sit on the throne of our hearts, not anybody else, not even ourselves. I pray, Father, that you would that you would be exalted above everything else in every life in this place. That you would be exalted above whatever it is the world or this life can offer us, Lord God, and that you would rest number one in our lives. Jesus, I thank you that you came to empty our hearts, but then to fill it again with all the fullness of you. I pray for empty hearts in this room, Lord God. That they would be full of God. Full of all of your presence. Father, thank you for your word. And Holy Spirit, I pray that it would reach good soil this morning in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode